Hello, everyone. This is Matt Yankovic. Welcome you to another Hoss Talks Foss podcast. I'm Percona's Hoss, the head of open source strategy, Matt Yankovic, welcoming you to another deep dive into the open source space. We really appreciate you hanging out, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Lens, thank you for joining us, not only on this, but also at Percona, because you are the newest Perconian in engineering. So that's exciting. Indeed it is. Thanks for having me so early on. Um, it's, I'm in my third week now, drinking from the literal firehouse that Percona is. Um, it's an awesome place to be in. I'm really happy to be here. Now, now, Leds, we have crossed over, uh, not only people at Percona, but me and you, like several times, right? So we were both at MySQLAB, um, you know, Sun, and, you know, things kind of progressed for, for, for years. But you... You have been in the open source space for more time than I have, which is crazy because I feel like dinosaurs roamed the earth when I was, you know, started. Um, you know, how did you get started in open source? Actually, um, I was studying computer science that was in the mid 90s. And uh, a friend of mine handed me over a stack of floppy disks. And, and he said, I'm not figuring this out. This must be something for you. And, and I, well, I started installing this stuff. It was a first Linux distribution based on some 099 Linux kernel, and I was hooked. And basically, that was really set the foundation stone for my entire career. So I, I, when I finished computer science, I, my first job was being a systems administrator in a very small startup. Um, so this is where I really learned the ropes about what, I don't think it was even called the LAMP stack back then. That was MSQL, PHP, FI, Mod Perl, these kind of things. Oh, In NCSI, yes. HTTPD. So that's where I really figured out, okay, this is really powerful. I stayed there for a little bit over a year, and then I moved to SUSE in Nuremberg, Germany, which is one of the biggest Linux distributors. Um, did support there for a while, consulting, um, and then became part of the, the engineering organization, was in charge of yeah, managing packages there, including the MySQL distribution. So surprise, surprise, at some point, one thing led to another, and, and having been in conversations with the MySQL folks led me to MySQL IB as one of the first German employees back then. Yeah, we moved on to... Sun Microsystems to Oracle. I, I stayed with MySQL for all this time, uh, moved over to doing community relations at some later stage. At Oracle, I got bored of MySQL and turned to Oracle Linux. So I be was back in the Linux environment. I was the product manager for that product for a while. Um, yeah, and then my last gig is back at SUSE for four years. I've just returned from my second tenure at SUSE because they at some point acquired a team that I was working with and the project that we were working on. Yes, which was Ceph, right? So you were working on the Ceph project, which is Correct. exciting. You know, so, um, I, yeah. Initially, we, we were working on an independent project called OpenAttic, which was a, a small web-based storage management project that also had Ceph management capabilities. And then we collaborated with SUSE and they later acquired us. And, and then me and my team got the opportunity to work on the upstream Ceph project directly. And we basically took all the learnings that we've made with OpenAtix and the experiences and had the opportunity to start from scratch. So we started building what is called the, the Ceph dashboard, which is a built-in web-based um, yeah, management and monitoring component that is part of the Ceph cluster out of the box. And that was fairly successful. <clears throat> well, I, I want to stop there because it's important. You mentioned something earlier that 
it's, we have to clarify. Now, you mentioned getting a stack of floppy disks. Now, there are people who could be listening or watching this who have no idea what a floppy disk is. So let's just take a quick PSA, okay? Everybody is used to this now, right? Like even some people don't even know what this is, which is scary. But if you're familiar with the USB stick and, you know, like the, the, the most common like way that you're going to probably install Linux, um, you know, on a new system now, um, think of floppy disks um, as bigger versions that hold a hell of a lot less data that you have to have like 70 of. Now, 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 Lens, now this is where your true credibility will, will come into play. And this will tell everyone how old you are. How big were those floppy disks? 4.14 um, inches. So these were the real oh. floppy ones. Oh, wow. So that goes really old it's school. Not three and a half inch. That were, wow. they came later. Yes, well, they came yeah. later. Yes, yes. 1.2 megabytes or something. I think it was around that size. So yeah, yes. yeah, it was a stack of 40 something floppy disks that I had to tediously download in, in the lab PCs in the university, then travel home, just realizing that one of the floppies was not readable and going back to square one and, and, and getting that floppy disk fixed. So yeah, that was the pioneer days of the internet and, and how Linux got started. Oh, but yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it was... In the, eye-opening to me, having been in, in the DOS in early Windows times, um, I, I literally ditched Microsoft Pro operating system since then. I have been a Linux user constantly since then, basically. It's the only operating system in our household. Um, our kids use Linux on their desktops. So, so okay. So what was the first Linux distro you used? Um, it was called, let me think, LST, Linux Support Team Erlangen, which is a, a small team of engineers that later turned into Caldera. But that was their first entrepreneurship, so to say. And, and they had a, a Linux distribution. The cool thing about that one was um, it already had virtual consoles where you can switch between different login screens with a hotkey. And while the installation from Floppy was running on the one screen, you can switch to the second one and play Tetris on the command line. So, you can, <laughs> and they kept that playing games thing even when they had graphical installers later on. So that was kind of their brand. Ah, very cool. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I started with Slackware. So, all right. Yeah, yeah. That was also around that times. Yeah, well, yes, uh, around when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Yes, and 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 I, but mine were on three and a half inch floppies. So you know, a little, a little after. I mean, they were repurposed. Yeah, they were repurposed AOL. So, you, you know, America Online here in the U US, they would send yep. you all the floppy disks, you know, with AOL on it, and you would just reformat them Not to use as like, you know. Oh, oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. What was it? Was it? Was it still called American Online, or yes, like it was called? Well, we Germans had AOL.com. Wow, really? Okay, there you go. Yep. So, who would have thought? You know, look at that dropping knowledge bombs. So, so Led, you're coming in to lead our server engineering uh, team. And so right. your focus is going to be on all of Percona's software that's around our distributions, MySQL, Postgres, MongoDB. Mm -hmm. And that, that's exciting, right? Um, you know, we've, 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 you know, grown, you know, those, those teams, you know, there are many people who rely on them. Um, you know, so 
you know, maybe give us maybe a sneak peek on some of the things you're seeing, some of the things you're thinking about already, you know, I'm going right. to put you on the spot because, you know, that's what I do. I, I told yeah. you I was going to try and embarrass you. So let's see how, how much I can. Well, I'm, I'm still in the in the early learning phase, of course, absorbing and talking to many Perconians, getting some history and background um, just to see how much work this team is actually doing. And it, it's it's quite remarkable. As you said, we have those distributions, which are kind of, yeah, compilations or uh, collections of useful components that um, make using, let's say, MySQL or PostgreSQL or even MongoDB easier, like high availability, monitoring, those kind of things. So those distributions are a pretty new addition. And and yeah, well, the Percona used to be more of a services company, right? And, and this we have kind of growing into the software business and scaling that and also ensuring that we're not just throwing open source license over a fence, but becoming more open to our user community, being more open to feedback. So these are some of the things that I'm also being encouraged to work on and asked to to um, give my input on based on the experiences that I've made in, in my previous roles. So really growing, not just the team, improving processes and making sure they work more effectively together, but also opening up and, and, and getting a, a closer relationship to our users and our communities. Right. And one of the things we want to do is we want the community to feel like these distributions aren't Percona's distributions. They're their distributions. They're the community's distributions, right? And that's why, you know, we've had this really strong commitment to keeping things open um, for years. And, you know, we're, 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 I, I'm hesitant to say doubling down because Elastic just said they're doubling down and open. So I'm going to say quadrupling down <laughs> or or tripling down um, because that's even better, um, you know. But, uh, you know, we're really focused on trying to drive, you know, um, you know, people to feel like they're part of the team. And right. that means, you know, trying to, you know, figure out what people are interested in and help them contribute where they, they want to or they can. Um, and, and make this a better product um, and a better set of products over the, the time being. Yeah, so, so, you know, in your experience, you know, how, how should people get started contributing? Like, what, what are some of the things that they can do? Because I know that the first contribution, the first thing people do is always the hardest. <laughs> yeah, and, and lowering that barrier and giving people guidance of how to get started, where to get started, where to find stuff is work that we're not not just me personally because my primary role is really supporting the, the engineering team on, on getting the work done but based on my background I also well I cannot stop getting myself involved in these things because I'm passionate about them um, as you said Pacona has always been very open and I, I really that's something I mean I've been following the evolution of Pacona over the, over the years and just observing that there are never any funny games played with the software or the licenses, like dual licensing and, and, and uh, well, like we are currently seeing in the industry that people start with very liberal licenses and, and then later on say, oh, by the way, now that we've created a community, now we're going to make changes. And, and, and that's something that Percona has never really been doing. And I would hate that if we would start be doing that, but I will make sure it's not happening. Um, how to get started? I mean, there are multiple ways. And, and, and of course, you have basically two kinds of uh, 
communities. You on the one hand have our user community, which are the people who just download the software, want to use it in, for their purposes, whatever, but may run into problems that they want to get help on or maybe have ideas about what they would like to see in the product. So facilitating conversations with these kind of users. I mean, our forums have just been revamped, which is really nice. Um, that's really our primary communication platform and exchange with our users at the moment, I would say. But is that the only one? Will we be able to expand that? I, I guess that's something we should be looking into. Um, so that's our user community. But developer community, people who are really interested are not just giving verbal feedback, but maybe contributing code and submissions. I think there's there are existing um, and ways of how to do that. You can use our public Jira to submit um, bug reports, for example. If you're running into a serious issue and you are capable of debugging it yourself, helping us creating a reproducible test case is always appreciated. Our docs, um, if you're following them along and you find that they are inconsistent uh, or missing a step or something's incorrect, making it easier for you to give feedback to us or even suggest a change of how the docs should be amended. All these kind of things are already possible and, and we're looking into making this even easier and more approachable going forward. So um, that's just a subset of things that are possible. Um, I admit I haven't really fully explored all of the other opportunities that we have. Right now, my, my main intention is a bit more inward focus on, on my team, getting to know all the people, what are the tasks and so forth. But once I'm kind of over that hump and feel more confident and comfortable, I definitely also like to have a more outward facing eye on, on how things are going, how we are perceived, how we can yeah, facilitate and, and lower the barrier for contributions on all of these levels. Yeah, and, and for me, um, my personal experience, what got me interested in how I contributed code early on was problems, right? So mm -hmm. as, a, as a DBA, I would run into problems right? And you want to fix them. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm naturally a problem solver. So for me, it's, you know, it's the itch you have to scratch, right? Like, why does it do this? This makes no sense, <laughs> right? Um, and I think that's where a lot of profound contributions come from. Right. You know, if you, if you look at, you know, let's, let's use InnoDB as an example, mm -hmm. right? Um, as you know, because you were there, um, you know, MySQL kind of had that moratorium on doing any development with InnoDB for a while while we worked on, you know, our alternative storage engine because InnoDB was bought by Oracle and you know, there was that kind of like, oh, can we can we touch the code? But during that time period, people had issues with lots of different things because, mm -hmm. you know, Hecky, you know, was was was, you know, Produced the great code that is InnoDB, but it really wasn't updated. It was kind of frozen in time in a lot of cases to 1995. And I always use the example of, you know, he, he did some things that were head scratchers just because of where we were, you know, right. five, 10 years after that. Like, for instance, you know, um, my favorite thing of all time is hard coding, you know, the, the IOPS per second to 100 IOs per second, right? <laughs> And the comment, the comment is the comment that I, I just love, right? I love the comment. That comment is, I'm capping this at 100 IOs per second because that's all modern disk can do. 
right. back then that probably was a valid assumption, right? It totally <laughs> was a valid assumption. You're absolutely right. But as as time progresses like that, that becomes an issue. And, you know, here's the thing. You don't need to be a coding expert to read the source code, understand what some of the things are going on and see something like that and go like, huh, mm. I wonder if that will fix the problem that I'm facing. Right. Usually and, it's and not, that's how not I that trivial by just changing the number, but you're right. Um, the whole thing about making the source code available, not just for your perusal and, and looking at it and figuring out, but being able to debug problems or modify it so it matches your requirements is something I think that, well, it's a, it's the key trait of open source that we are now very familiar with for several decades. But I think we are now also seeing that the whole industry is more and more waking up to this. I mean, wasn't there an article about Microsoft really doubling down to repeat that phrase on open source and, and, and being much more open and endorsing to that? I mean, Microsoft has changed quite significantly over the last few years in, in that regard. And, and yes, you can still, of course, hold a grudge about how they were acting and, and reacting in the early days, Microsoft calling Linux a cancer and so forth. So there's, of course, a lot of history here. Um, but I, I believe that things can, people can change and, and companies might even change as well. Maybe not that easily because large organizations and so forth, but um, it, it's an interesting time to be in the open source uh, space, to, to be honest. Right now we have... Many companies see this as a lever to quickly gain market share and interest, but they are just using open source more or less as a, as a kind of a marketing term. And yes, the software may be on an open source license, but do they work like an open source project? Do they really foster collaboration and community or is this just more of an afterthought or um, not something that they are really deeply focused on? And, and, and my own experiences on having worked on so many projects really is that if you are just dumping stuff over the fence, yes, it has a source license. You could either or as well be a closed source company. You're not really benefiting from all the other things that open source brings you with it. Yes, of course, there's chaos and of course there's drama and you have to work with people that don't work for you. You have no control over, but every now and then a real gem kind of emerges and, and that's what you need to be on the lookout for. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that's that's the critical thing, right? Is you you've got a divide now, where, you know, open source companies are, you know, they're they're there because it's a monetization strategy, you know. Hey, this other company's making all this money, let's copy them. <laughs> and you know, uh, I've I've actually you know talked about this, and I've got a Boston talk where I'm going to talk about this. It, it's interesting that. You know, with all the licensing changes that have been happening, if you go look at those companies and you go look at the executive teams, there's almost zero open source background. No. It's or, it's all from big proprietary companies. It's all from very you know well funded you know places. It's people who are using open source as the the current freemium model. Right, and and that's also the kind of investors they attract. That then at some point start. Well, asking for their return and investment, and that's when the screws are getting tightened and compromises are going to be made, which is really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, 
it, it also depends, I think, what kind of open source software you're working on. Is it something that is infrastructure like databases, file systems, storage, or is it more of an end user application? I, I think this also has an impact on how much the licensing really matters and, and how much it helps you to gain traction in, in the large community and to monetize it later on. End user apps, I think, are much harder to monetize than infrastructure because, well, if you're providing a, a, an infrastructure building block, um, the, your users depend your most precious things, you, their data on, on your solution. And usually they want to have that warm, fuzzy feeling that someone is around that they can strangle if things go haywire. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and that's where you have a lever to, to have a, a solid business model where the, the open source software is really just more of a vehicle. And, and that, that goes back to a saying that Martin Mikos at, at MySQL was always repeating that either you invest in your time and then you save money or you, if you want to save time, then you have to invest money, right? So you have to make that trade-off. Either you build the, the, the knowledge and talent in-house and you have people who are capable of keeping your infrastructure up and running, or well, there are companies like ours that can maybe help you out. Well, Lens, let me ask you this final question, and yes. then you know I'll I'll let you go on to your day. Um, so I'm curious, you know, as you look at the current you know open source landscape, you look at the current industry, you know, what do you think are the the interesting trends or the things that you know you're taking notice of and that you might be excited about or concerned about? <laughs> so it's it's not a, a brand new trend. Um, I think. Open source, especially in, in infrastructure and Linux as an operating system, has more or less won the game, especially for customers who are moving to cloud-based workloads. Um, now we have Kubernetes as this new wave coming up, um, software as a service. All of this is completely based on open source software. So that's really um, a remarkable trend that I'm, I'm seeing here. Um, yeah. There's a lot of dynamics in, in the business right now, and there are lots of companies, of course, that want to kind of stake their ground and, and, and make sure that they get their piece of the pie. But it also gives a lot of opportunity to new um, companies because, well, since they don't have to do everything or create everything from scratch, but rather can take existing open source solutions, they can easily compete with especially proprietary software vendors because, well, they can just assemble the stack together, add their value by the integration, uh, by making sure it's well tested and works, or maybe started starting adding their own extensions that then make this service unique and, and more compelling to users. So lots of um, opportunities, I think. All right. Well, Lens, thank you for taking some time this morning. I appreciate you know sitting down with you chatting. Um, we'll probably do this again. Um, when you're not drinking from that fire hose and uh, being shot across the room, um, you know, but uh, uh, really looking forward to having you on board here at Percona and looking forward to what we're going to do in the open source space this year. Yeah, me too. It's going to be an interesting and exciting ride. I really look forward to it. Thanks, man. This has been the Hoss Talks Foss. I'm the Hoss, Matt Yankovic. I want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and listen to future episodes. We appreciate everything that you do to make open source awesome.
Thank you.